to This Grit and Grace Life, a podcast for strong women and those who want to be. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, real talk for women embracing this grit and grace life. Let's get into it. Hey girl, hey, and welcome to This Grit and Grace Life podcast. I'm Julie Graham. And I'm Darlene Brock. So, Dar, I have this idea, which I may or may not be right. I mean, that's true about any idea I have. (laughs) But I think our friends who listen to the show like getting to know us a little bit. And I thought we would let them in on, I don't know, something a little more personal and give them insight into something that we are each working on in our own grit and grace lives. Because don't we try to talk about how we want to grow and strengthen and blah, blah, blah. We do talk about that. So, Julie, is there something in particular that you are working on right now? Yes, and it's very, very deep and important. Okay, what is it? (laughs) Um, So I'm trying to become a better cook. Oh, I didn't think you were a bad one. Well, I didn't think so either until I wasn't just cooking for me anymore. You know what I'm saying? Because like what I cook for Lincoln is very complicated. It's like, you know, chicken nuggets in the air fryer or Uh baby pizzas, which is bagel bites. Very nutritious. I feed my child very nutritious. Um, And I had, you know, fallen into the rhythm of making my food at the beginning of the week and eating it out of containers all week long. Turns out my boyfriend's not a huge fan of that. He doesn't like the containers. He doesn't like the day four. He would eat it. Yeah. But, you know, he doesn't love it. So I've been trying to cook more. And I did that for a while. And it was kind of like, oh, look, I'm making the same three things. Life is so exciting. So I'm trying to work on getting a little more exciting in the kitchen and trying meal kits and all of those kinds of things. And you know what I've learned? What did you learn? I don't really like cooking. <laughs> I, I like eating. Yeah. But the cooking part is annoying. I agree. I've never been a, been a huge fan of cooking. I am much more in the I'm going to rebuild something or change something. I'm right now picking paint colors. And what's, again? Again. Mm-hmm, again. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. what you're working on. Okay. Yeah. What are you going to paint? Uh, well, probably the exterior of the house, because oh. I've already done the interior three times in the time we I lived. was going to say, I feel like I've been through a couple repaints. You have. My poor husband, he's <laughs> like, do we really have to do it again? Yeah, I'm in a different paint mood. So <laughs> I have pulled samples, and one thing I am going to do is get my grandson, who's with us right now, mm. to help me paint poster boards so we can hang them all over the house. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. You, you are quite the redecorator. I will give you that. I am. That. It is cheaper than buying a new house every time you it get bored. Is. <laughs> That's for sure. At Grit and Grace, our goal is to bring you relatable, honest content for every area of your Grit and Grace life. There's nothing we want to shy away from or avoid because maybe it's hard to discuss or even controversial. We love to bring you balanced content that will help you grow, learn, change, and strengthen. On episode 119, we were joined by board-certified OBGYN Dr. Holly Miller. Dr. Holly was a wealth of knowledge on women's health, so we invited her back to tackle a huge topic that affects most women in one way or another. Dr. Holly is here today to discuss our sexual and reproductive health. So welcome back, Dr. Holly. Well, thank you both for having me back. I'm so excited to be here today. You know, Dr. Holly, we got some great feedback from our listeners. I wasn't really sure how this would go down, especially with our poor editor who, you know. (laughs) Wait, did he say anything about it? 
Uh, he said he learned a lot. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh yeah. Well, good, Darlene. He's going to learn a lot today as well. This is very exciting. <laughs> yeah, I know. And with that in mind, uh, we are going to talk about the subject of sex today, um, which I think, you know, can terrify a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, as Julie just said, we're willing to jump in the deep end. Okay, before we get in too deep, pun intended, I want to give a little disclaimer. So today we're going to talk about everything related to a sexual, physical, intimate relationship. Now, here at Grit and Grace, we do believe that sex was created by God for the marriage relationship. But we also recognize that in today's day and age, many women are having sexual relationships outside of marriage. And so with that in mind, we wanted to have an honest, relatable, and informative conversation with an expert. So, you know, I want to start with something that may be a little more, a little uncomfortable, and that is when you're dating someone and you're thinking of a long-term relationship and you're considering, you know, sexual activity with them, when do you ask them if they had been tested for STIs? Um, well, Darlene, that is a, that's a great question. And I think the, you know, the answer, as far as I'm concerned, is potentially early in that relationship. Maybe not on date number one, but clearly <laughs> before we're going to consider any type of physical intimacy with someone the best way to protect ourselves from experiencing a sexually transmitted infection is to find out if our partner-to-be has something that we need to be aware of. Um, one thing to understand is while most women are proactive about their health, they're coming to the doctor fairly regularly, potentially even once a year, there is a lot of gentlemen out there that aren't quite that proactive. Mm-hmm. Um, And also, just because they're going to the doctor doesn't also mean they're being tested for sexually transmitted infections. So it's important that we start to open up that conversation early on. Okay, I have a flip question for you. What if you're a woman who actually had contracted one? When do you have that discussion from your side? Oh, again, there's the challenging challenging part. So before we're going to take that relationship to that physical level of sexual intimacy, we need to be willing to to disclose to that partner to be what it is that we are bringing into the relationship and also to encourage him to disclose to us. I think there's a two-way level of communication and it needs to happen on both sides. Okay. So as the dating person in the room, um, this whole scenario just sounds incredibly awkward and scary. And, you know, I'll just be honest and say, it sounds like something that I don't really want to talk about. Like, no, thank you. Um, what do you say to the woman that is like me dating and thinking, wow, I guess you're right. We would have to have to have these conversations if I'm pursuing a committed, you know, long-term relationship with somebody, but it feels awkward. I don't want to have to talk about it. It. Julie, it's completely an awkward conversation. I'm very aware of that because we're asking somebody about the most intimate details of their life. But what we have to remember is that when we have a sexual relationship, that intimate physical relationship with someone, we are now exposing ourselves to the vulnerable moments that that involves, which also means that we're potentially exposing ourselves to any risks that it involves. So if we're not ready to talk about it, we're probably not ready to have sex. Boom. (laughs) Boom. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Let me take that one more step. So you you have the conversation. You're both tested. You find out one of you is positive. 
you're terrified. What if he is and you're not? And is it a, a relationship you should pursue because you're going, oh, no, I don't want to get that. I don't want that transmitted. How do I deal with this? Well, first, we have to understand, you know, what infection are we talking about? So there are some sexually transmitted infections that just need a one-time treatment and are not going to be continuing on into the next relationship. So if we're discussing gonorrhea or chlamydia, more than likely one-time treatment for the infected partner and any past partners is all that we would that we would need to happen. If we're discussing something such as genital herpes, that's really important to know if your partner has, because if your potential partner has it, but you don't have it, they can take daily medication to significantly decrease the risk of you acquiring the virus. So once again, we have to have talked about it. We have to have seen a doctor and established you know, a relationship so that we can you know, be on this medication, but then, then the partner to be can help prevent you from getting the infection. So it really depends on the infection that we're discussing. So basically what you're saying, Holly, is if you're looking at a long-term relationship, no matter what, you want all the information possible. You want to know if they're in debt and they're bringing <laughs> debt or if they're bringing an STI. And then the truth is if, it is, if it is a committed relationship and you're going to marry this man because there's so many other things, it's okay. It is okay because it can be handled. STIs can be handled just like debt or just like anything else, as long as there are honest conversations. Is that correct? Absolutely, Darlene. And that's, that's just the point, is that when we're going to stay in a relationship forever with one person, no matter what the baggage is, we're going to deal with it together. Okay, so let's just assume we've had the conversation. We are, you know, strong, brave women of grit and grace. We've talked to our man and we've decided that we want to move forward with a sexual relationship. We obviously want to do that in the safest way possible. So, Dr. Holly, what's your recommendation as far as having safer sex? Well, I always recommend using condoms as a method to have safer sex. Again, it's going to still reduce our risk of sexually transmitted infections that are hard to find, specifically the human papillomavirus, uh, and then also to reduce our risk of pregnancy. Perfect. Okay, let's talk about pregnancy then, because for some of us, we may be actively having sex, but not interested in starting a family. And there are lots of different options to prevent pregnancy. And, you know, we recognize that the idea of using contraception for some people, they're very pro contraception and others find that the use of contraception, you know, goes against their spiritual beliefs. And we don't necessarily want to get into that conversation here. We're here for the woman who needs all of the information. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the options that are available now as far as contraception? Uh, perfect. So of course, you know, again, as we're, as we're discussing this, there are a lot of women who choose to simply use natural family planning when done right. If you really understand your menstrual cycle and you're actively communicating with your partner when you're fertile and at risk of pregnancy versus not fertile, we can really control that chance of pregnancy and significantly reduce, reduce it, I should say. If we want to discuss all of the other hormonal options that are available, there are numerous on the market. There's the traditional birth control pills, a birth control patch, a vaginal ring, and um, implanted devices such as a thin rod that can be placed in the arm and an intrauterine device that can stay in the uterus for up to 10 years, depending on the one that is chosen. As women, we have lots of choices that we can use. 
Now, it's been a long time since I had this battle, okay, of I don't want to get pregnant, so I need to find out what my options are. Holly, what is an arm rod? I mean, I, I, when I saw that on our outline, I'm like, okay, it sounds like a surgical thing for a broken bone. I have no idea. So can you give us a little bit? Does it bit? just make it where you're physically unable to have sex, therefore? <laughs> there Let's see. Oh, uh, well, okay, then I, maybe I shouldn't call it an arm rod. There's a small flexible implant that can be placed under the skin of the arm in a very discreet location, and it is about the size of... Uh, a matchstick. So four centimeters long, very thin, about as thin as the tip of a pen. So very thin, very small, and it's good for three years. So three years of continuous contraception. So my assumption is that it would be very individualized, your choices. If you say, I I do not want to have a child at this point in my life, so here are my options. Is this something, again, I know we talked last time, always talk to your doctor about everything because I would think different choices for different women. Is that correct? Absolutely. And all of the different options that I have so briefly mentioned, they all have a positive side effect and they all have a negative side effect. Mm -hmm. There's many of these that I use in women, not just because of preventing pregnancy, but because they need the benefit of whatever that choice is because it's helping other medical conditions that they have. So again, I think the summary here is go talk to your gynecologist about your specific needs and find out if they do the arm rod. So interesting. Okay, so what are some, <laughs> I know you mentioned there were some that were hormonal and some that are not. What, what are some non-hormonal options? So non-hormonal options are a little bit more limited. There is an IUD, so an intrauterine device that is non-hormonal. It contains copper. So the metal IUD actually can be placed inside the uterus just with a very basic pelvic exam. And it's good for 10 years 10 of years. continuous pregnancy prevention. So 10 years, 99% effective. It's very long-term. And then, of course, our common barrier methods like condoms, a vaginal diaphragm, uh, the, any of the spermicidal jellies, things that are available at your local pharmacy without a prescription. Okay, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. It does not feel in my logical brain or illogical brain that something that you have used or had in your body for 10 years is a good plan. That sounds terrifying to me. Is there research and enough history on these kind of things that you can say, but they are safe? I mean, I would assume being in the marketplace that they are. But, you know, again, I go, ooh, I, I wonder, is that okay? Well, Darlene, yes, there's lots of research associated with IUDs, and they have been on the market for a long time and are definitely considered a safe, long-term, effective option for women. But clearly, if it makes you uncomfortable, then it wouldn't be the right choice for you. Okay. Have they always been 10 years though? I feel like even when you and I were talking before I had Lincoln, I don't remember that there was a 10 year thing. Is it one of those things that they're just advancing the medicine and they're giving you longer, longer, you know, time that it's effective? No, not necessarily. But again, we make different choices at different stages of life. And so for someone who's only going to need contraception for potentially a year or two years, it may not be something that we would talk about. Can you take it out early? Yes, you can take it out early. Dr. Holly, I, one of the things we do absolutely want to do with this episode is give all women all the options. But I also want to clarify a little bit that, you know, there are some options where y you may not feel comfortable 
because of the outcome of that particular type of contraception, because you think what it creates is something that you really don't feel right about. So again, let's go back to the fact that you talk to your doctor Mm -hmm. and you get all the information. When you talk about the IUD versus the pill, they, they perform different functions and they accomplish things in different ways. I would suggest, which I imagine you would as well, Dr. Holly, is that is a very important conversation. It's not just which contraception should I use. I think women should ask, what does that contraception do? Yeah. How does it work in my body and what effect does it have on both my health and a potential pregnancy? Would you agree with that? I agree with that, Darlene. I am excited that as women that we have the choices to have children when we're ready or prevent children when we're not ready. But we we do have to understand how these medications work and where in the phase of making a child are they really most effective and what's what's the aim of the type of contraception that we're choosing. I'm just so thankful that you're, you know, willing to come and bring this information to us, which then brings to our attention that, you know, this is a area that I want to research more fully and deeply on my own side and make that decision with my partner and with my doctor moving forward. So really appreciate you being willing to dive into that topic. All right, let's move on from contraception to maybe some actual physical sexual health issues that may be common but maybe uncomfortable for a woman to talk to their doctor about. One thing that I know, I have a dear young woman in my life that recently got married and she came and said, is sex really this painful? Does it really hurt like this? Because, you know, she had never, she had chosen, which I commend her. And I think it's an important choice to enter marriage as a virgin. Um, But by doing that, no one had prepared her for okay, this could hurt. Now, does it, does it have to, you know, give us some insights on this because that's a little bit terrifying pain in intercourse. Well, I have women of all ages that come to see me and we have to discuss pain with intercourse. No, sex should not be painful if we're having intercourse on a regular basis. Yes, for the young woman that you're talking about, that first night and the first few times that she is with her husband, she may experience some discomfort. But once they've been together for a little while, that pain should go away. And it should not be something that is a barrier to her continuing to have sexual intercourse. The The challenge for women is knowing what is right and wrong and when to talk to their doctor. Okay, so let us know when should we be talking to our doctor? Assume that you know, we've been having regular intercourse and now we're noticing that it's painful. What are you going to tell us? How are you going to help us? So there's a number of different reasons why sex can become painful. I see it very frequently in my younger patients who've recently had a baby. During breastfeeding, especially the way that our hormones change does increase vaginal dryness and pain with intercourse. Sometimes it's as simple as using one of the -the over-the-counter lubricant products that are available But again, when that is not enough, we should consider other treatment options, such as adding a hormonal hormonal medication or considering physical therapy. Um, Of course, women that have gone through menopause because of how our estrogen levels decrease, that lack of estrogen in the vagina can cause significant vaginal dryness. And so we often treat that again with a hormonal medication in the vagina 
and a discussion a discussion of a, a, a number of other treatment options. So what we're saying here, Dr. Holly, is that the truth is intercourse should be enjoyable. This is something that between a husband and wife should be really a joyful experience. So if you're if it's not, if physically you're struggling with it, again, go figure out what to do. Don't just, you know, say, well, it's part of the course, you know, love my man, jump it in bed, go and be good to him and dang, this hurts, you know, but I think looking for options in all of these scenarios is a really important thing. Absolutely. I think if you're at a place in your sexual relationship where you're just doing the, I'm going to grin and bear it. I'm going to get through it. This is only for him because it hurts me. Then that is not normal. And there needs to be a discussion about that. Perfect. That is super helpful. And I'm sure there's a woman listening thinking, okay, now that she said that I have to own the fact that I've thought those thoughts, I've felt those things. Uh, Would you recommend she go right to her doctor or try some of these over the counter options before going to the doctor? I mean, is that something to consider? Well, I I think most women that I end up talking to, they've already tried using over-the-counter lubricants. They've tried different sexual positions, and they're just not getting improvement. And so it is a point where we need to to really look into those medical treatment options. Okay, so here's another kind of maybe extension of that or kind of tangent of that. What about for the woman who is struggling with even wanting to have sex? Um, She's you know, maybe emotionally detached from her partner or she's not, but she still can't quite get there in the mood and physically able to enjoy sex. Yes. Again, I see this in women of all ages. So in my, in my younger women, my 20 and 30 somethings, this is extremely common for young moms, for stay at home moms or working women who are just trying to balance life. As women, we tend to take care of everyone else in our life and everything else. And by the time we hit that pillow at night, the only thing we want to do is sleep. And we're not thinking about having sex. It is last on our priority list. But for our husbands, it's first on the priority list. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's a matter of having a conversation to help the couple work through what is our expectation of how often we're going to be having sex and what days of the week it's going to happen even Mm -hmm. so that they both make time for each other in that sense. So instead of saying, let's not end our day after wrestling the kids, both of us working, having to figure out dinner, hey, how about we get up a half hour early in the morning (laughs) and we will book a time where we're actually both in a really good mood. Does that help? Absolutely. And that's what it's all about is communication and making sure that we're, we're reserving that time for each other. And in a busy home, it often does take almost physically putting it on the family calendar, not in an obvious way where the kids can know, but where the (laughs) husband and wife can say, this is the time we're saving for each other. And I'm going to show up with energy so that I can look forward to this time together. Now, somebody's hearing this and thinking that is so unromantic. Like, no, it should be (laughs) like in the movies where it's just, you know, I'm just so can't wait to be with my man. Is that normal? I mean, you're talking to women every single day. What is normal for frequency and excitement about having regular relations with your man after you've been together for, you know, a long time? Well, yeah, we have to be careful even just saying a long time because (laughs) this is a very touchy subject. But I think that the, the frequency of intercourse depends on the couple. There are the occasional couple who will have sex on a daily basis. I say kudos to them. That is not the normal. 
Um, for most couples, it's once or twice a week. And so that just, again, depends on both sides of the relationship agreeing on this is where we want our relationship to be at. Well, and I would think that that should be a relief to women out there because we see, you know, no matter what the medium is, whether it's television or movies, it's like, man, these people just jump in bed together and have an awesome time every 15 seconds. (laughs) And it's like, you know, wait a minute, is is that what real life is supposed Mm -hmm. to be? And, you know, uh, I would say no, and neither can it be. Um, And in addition to that, Dr. Holly, I... I would want to encourage women that sex with your husband is a whole lot more than just getting in bed and the act of sex. It is, as you said earlier, Mm -hmm. a conversation. You talk about life. You talk about how to interact with each other. You even talk about sex together. You talk about, you know, what's important to you, who cuddles, who doesn't cuddle, you know, just honestly, sex is more than that particular period of time. It is a whole relationship issue. It, it absolutely is. And again, as women, for us, the enjoyment that we get out of sex matters more about how the relationship is doing emotionally. Mm-hmm. So when we have an emotionally healthy connection with our husband and when we feel spiritually connected with him, then the physical comes as an outflowing of that. But on the flip side, men are usually different. And for a man, if you walk in the room, he's often thinking, I'm ready right now. Even if you just fought a few minutes ago. Oh, so, especially if again, you fought. <laughs> yeah. She looks good. It's okay. We, we should definitely make that's up now. Right. <laughs> Dr. Holly, will you talk a little bit about, I guess, an, as an extension of this conversation, you know, the whole, should he initiate? Should I initiate? Is it unhealthy if if it's always me or it's always him? And, you know, again, what's normal? What's you know, acceptable, what is the way it should be? Have you had that kind of conversation with some of your patients? Yes, I've had that conversation. I think for most couples, it is the man that initiates more than the woman, but it shouldn't be that way all the time. As women, we occasionally, you know, we need to initiate so that our partner knows that we desire them as well. And that answer, again, plays into where is each couple at in their sexual desire. So keep in mind, we're talking about this, assuming that the man wants to have sex more than the woman, but I have couples where it's the opposite. And that is an issue as well. When she wants it more than he does, we're imbalanced and it feels unhealthy. And one person thinks they're underperforming or I'm not beautiful enough or you don't like me enough. So we have to be in balance on both sides of this equation. It just sounds like it always comes back to healthy communication and making sure that all parts of your relationship are getting, you know, the attention and the um, time that they need. And then a, you know, healthy and satisfying physical relationship will be an outpouring of that. Absolutely. And, and I do want to just state that there are medications available. So sometimes it isn't just about scheduling time together. And it's not about having pain with intercourse that's preventing us from having sex. But there truly are some women and men that have physical medical issues that need to be treated. And we do have medications that can improve libido as well. Okay, perfect. That is all so super helpful. And um, I know when we talked about having this conversation, wow, maybe more than a year ago, we kind of 
had this conversation, you and I, Dr. Holly, about these are the kinds of questions that I, I think women are curious about, but maybe still nervous about asking their doctor because then it's, you know, it's a real issue or then they have to face it or they're afraid of being, you know, the abnormal patient who's having this issue. And, and I think what we hear you saying is these are actually way more common then we recognize. And if we're experiencing any of these issues, we need to just go ahead and be brave talking with our partner and talking with our doctor. I think we've, we've stated multiple times that they should go talk to their doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Holly, one thing that in all honesty, I really debated whether we were going to introduce in this conversation or not, but I think it's really important in, in the world today. And that is to speak to the women who have made the choice to abort that they found themselves pregnant, they did not know how to handle life where it was, and they believed at the time that was the solution. And we are so heartfelt sympathetic to them and want to really let them know that we absolutely love them where they are today. But I think where they are today sometimes makes them not talk about some of the things that they're dealing with post-abortion, some of the physical or emotional challenges they have. So I want to address that. I want you to help walk us through what an abortion can create afterwards that women really need to talk to their doctor about. Well, Darlene, this is clearly such a, a, a touchy subject, such a, a subject with, with lots of political debate behind it. And, and we definitely are not here to be a part of that today. I've walked the journey of challenging pregnancies and unexpected pregnancies with so many families. And when we say the word abortion, everybody thinks it's a young woman. She's unmarried. She just doesn't want the baby. But there are so many stories out there of married couples who really just don't feel like they can financially handle another child or couples who find themselves pregnant with a child that is not expected to live beyond those days in the womb. And they really just can't bear the thought of seeing this child born um, and living even for a few hours in any sort of agony. So the stories are so varied. There's so many, and there are millions of them. Uh, and I, and I know many of them. So this is always a tough subject to talk about. It's always a subject that women don't want to talk about with anybody else. They, they, they put it in their past and they want to leave it there. But we know inside them that it is something that they still think about. They look at the date on the calendar and they may be thinking, my child would have been such and such a date today. And so in the quiet of their own hearts, it is something that is oftentimes not forgotten. Um, women that have had an abortion are at increased risk of depression. I think I mentioned that last time. So that could be, you know, immediate depression right after they've chosen to end the pregnancy. And it can also be long-term similar to anybody dealing with any type of uh, PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder situation. Again, if they're, you know, working with a counselor and they're being treated for depression, but this is the one area that they never talk about, they never, they never open up that discussion with someone, it may not get the healing that it needs. Um, we also know that women who've had an abortion are potentially at increased risk of infertility later on, breast cancer, uh, and other medical issues. So if that is something that happens in their future, they often then feel additional guilt about the abortion that happened and wondering if a choice that happened when they were young is affecting them still as an older woman 
by causing one of these additional complications. Hmm. Well, and we want to start with saying, you know, go, go deal with it. Don't hide. There's, there's nothing that benefits anyone by hiding. Find a safe place, find a doctor to talk to, find a counselor to talk to, actually work through this part of your life. Because if you bury it and don't walk through it, it just, I would, I've seen it, it grows, it hurts, it can destroy so many parts of your life. If you have not worked out how you feel about it and how to face the future after you've made that decision. Is that correct, Holly? Absolutely. I've seen this affect men and women, so we don't want to negate the possibility that there's a father out there that's also suffering from the effects of that decision. Um, And I know that in my area, there is some amazing support group situations happening where women are getting together and they're doing sort of a faith-based journey about post-abortion trauma and getting some amazing healing. And some of the stories coming out of that are amazing. Not just women who made that choice a year ago, but women that made that choice 30 and 40 years ago who are finding healing. I know I'm thinking about there's probably some people even in our audience listening right now wondering why we would even talk about this. Like Dar said, uh, we kind of were on the fence on whether we say it or not. Um, but here at the Grit and Grace Project, this Grit and Grace Life, we care about the woman. We care about her heart. And um, we want to be an extension of God's covering, perfect you know, faithful, unconditional love. And so, because we've been loved that way, we really believe that's how God loves each and every one of us. And so we want to be a place where you can be honest with where you've been, what you've done, um, and not be defined by your past, but instead find hope and find the grace that is so available to us. And it is life-changing and can bring, you know, full and abundant life that the Bible talks about, even if this is part of your story. So thank you, Dr. Holly, for being willing to even just broach this topic with us. And if, if you've been there, we just want to encourage you to get the help that you need. If you know somebody who's been there, please be that grace-filled friend who can love her where she is and where she's been and help her as she moves forward through this. You know, it's it's amazing to me, Dr. Holly, that we just spent the last 30 minutes talking about everything from contraceptives, libido, you know, every Vaginal dryness, don't forget that. Oh, yes, that too, yes. (laughs) Um, And probably, you know, a couple years ago, I might have gone, I don't know if we're going to jump in there. But here's the reality, is that we want to enter into real life. We want to talk about real life. And I don't think we could have found a better guest to do that with us on these subjects. So, Dr. Holly, I am so thankful for your willingness to join us, for your honesty, for your complete information, not hesitating on anything. So, again, thank you so much for joining us today on this very Maybe bizarre, intimate, intimate intimate conversation. That's a good word, Julie. This intimate conversation. um, I think it's going to help a lot of ladies. Well, I do hope that all of the listeners are encouraged today by what they've heard. And thank you both again for having me and for opening up these conversations about things that affect all of us as women. I feel like it's very appropriate to respond with our pleasure. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just love a good pun. What can I say? (laughs) 
Well, I found an excellent quote to end this, Dar, and it's one of my favorites because it's one of yours. Are you nervous? I'm very nervous. <laughs> I actually pulled it from your article on Grit and Grace Life called Great Sex, What Is It? Which I will link to in the show notes. You said, a satisfying sex life is based upon sharing your life and your heart, not just your bed. That's beautiful. I love it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of This Grit and Grace Life. And hey, girl, if you've been feeling a little off lately, but you're ready to find your groove again after this pandemic, be sure to join us next week. We're helping you to avoid getting stuck in the rut and get back into the game. Thanks for listening to another episode of this Grit and Grace Life podcast brought to you by the Grit and Grace Project. Whether you're listening in Apple, Spotify, or streaming somewhere else, be sure to subscribe and review so you never miss an upcoming episode. You can also share this episode with a friend you think might enjoy living a grit and grace life with us, or share us in your social media and tag us. Every week, we share all the details of what we discussed at our website, gritandgracelife.com. We'll catch you on the next one.